wind blowing toward right field. If Alex could find something to pull, get it in the air, he would get some help. Familia's next pitch. Belted to deep center. Back goes Lagares. And gone, Alex Gordon. In comes the pitch. Broken bat, one hopper to third. And over to first in time. Runner going to try to score. Wild throw. Hosmer gambling that he could dash home on the throw to first base. And the Royals have tied the game. For the very best in baseball, this is the place you want to be. Let's get it going on the Lockdown Royals podcast, a part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. This is a mixed emotions Monday because there's a game to recap. There's a series to recap. There's a series to preview. There's exciting baseball news to talk about. There's also devastating baseball news to talk about. As I record this at you know 10 a.m. on Monday morning, by the time I finish recording this podcast and we talk all about this Indian series and we really dig deep into uh, the weeds of what happened in, in uh, Cleveland this past weekend and, and what this means for the Royals, by the time that we hit that red button and go off the air, it, it could all be meaningless. It could all be over. Uh, and and that's that's the, the kind of dread that you're going to feel all season long when things like this happen. Uh, just... You're excited that baseball's here, uh, but you, you've got to be um, you, you've got to be curious if we can get to the end. I'm Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at r y l a n underscore s t i l e s. On today's show, we're going to break down the new MLB playoff format, the first series of the Royals season, and preview the Tigers game. But our lead story today is, of course, the fact that the Marlins right now are dealing with a huge outbreak. Um, 11 of their 30 traveling party party personnel have tested positive, and they've canceled the game tonight in Miami against Baltimore. They've also canceled the game in Philadelphia between the Phillies and the Yankees. Uh, the Marlins were taking over that Phillies clubhouse, so it's not safe to have the Yankees enter that clubhouse right now after we just saw 11 positive tests. We're still awaiting the results from Philadelphia, uh, from their clubhouse personnel who is around the Marlins, from the team. Uh, you know, the Philadelphia Phillies team, it, it's it's not looking good. Any time that you have to cancel two games, and, and uh, for any reason this season, because of the fact they're trying to play 60 games in 66 days, uh, but any time that you need to cancel two games due to coronavirus, it's not looking good. And I remember, you know, they tried the bubble idea, um, and it got laughed at because, uh, listen, we have to remember, baseball was the first sport to, to, to think of a bubble, to publicly talk about a bubble. The reason baseball's bubble didn't work uh, and didn't go through is because they're not finishing a season. Basketball's not going to play 82 games inside the bubble per team. Hockey's not going to play their entire season inside a bubble. They're not going to restrict those players inside of a bubble. Listen, basketball is going to play like 80 games total before the postseason. With, every, with all 22 teams, they're, they're playing eight games with the 22 teams, and then half of them are gone immediately. And then after the first round, half of them are gone again. So basketball really is only doing a bubble for like a month. So that's the big difference between basketball doing a bubble and baseball doing a bubble. 
Baseball was asking their players to go into a bubble for an entire season plus postseason. And then that's not going to work in any sport. Listen, if this virus is not under control by December 2020, 2021 for the NBA season, they're not going to go into a bubble. They, they just cannot do it. You cannot do a bubble from game one to the end of your season and then turn around and do the postseason in a bubble as well. It's too much to ask of these players. I don't care that they make millions of dollars. Uh, then you go away from your family for that long. You sacrifice everything that they'd have to sacrifice to go into that bubble for that long. And especially in baseball, whenever you were asking them to actually lose money by playing this year, prorating their contracts, and we won't get into all of that. But the bottom line is, that's the first thing I want to talk about. The bubble, don't make fun of baseball for not doing a bubble. They were the first sport to talk about a bubble. They were the first sports to introduce a bubble. After baseball publicly discusses a bubble, then you see the NHL, then you see the NBA following suit. So don't, don't talk about, I mean, I know we love to kill Rob Manfred, and he's a terrible commissioner, but don't talk about this as if Rob Manfred had his head in the sand and, and didn't even consider the possibility of doing a bubble. They did. They had two different bubble plans planned out. But when you look at it in a deeper perspective, it's a lot different when you're convincing these players to buy in and finish the season, play eight games and then get out of there with your money, or play eight games, then go to the postseason and try to win a championship, that's a lot different than telling the Royals to, hey, go into this bubble, sacrifice, lose your family, lose money, go to the bubble, you can't do anything but sit in a hotel room all season long, period, point blank, that's all you can do. And, by the way, you're going to play 60 games for half the money, less than half the money, and there's no championship involved. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. So baseball did think of a bubble. Let's get that out, of the, out on front street right now. They thought of a bubble. It can't work. So the second thing is, will this season be canceled? I know I've spent six minutes talking about this, but I don't know. I don't know. You can all have your differing opinions on if this season should be canceled. When you see 11 guys test positive already, and we're not sure the ripple effect between um, you know clubhouse personnel from the Phillies side of things who take care of the Marlins on the road, uh, and the Phillies players who interacted with them and played on the same field as them, I'm not sure it's going to happen. And we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But this hyperbole of baseball is so irresponsible. Now, you can think it's irresponsible right now to play any sports. That's totally fine. But to, to act like baseball sat back and said, eh, let's just carry on like normal and see what happens. That's not exactly how this went down. That's a bit of revisionist history. They changed the length of the games. They did the regional's travel schedule to kind of limit the traveling cross-coast. And they tried a bubble, but it just, it just logistically would not work. It would not work. And I'll talk about this on my NBA podcast, Locked on Thunder. The NBA is not doing a bubble next year for all 82 games. If they cannot play the way baseball's trying to play right now in December, they're just not going to play. They're just not going to play. You cannot have these players doing a bubble for 82 games, for even 60 games. That's just not how this is going to work. So I don't know if this season gets canceled. As of right now, it's only two games canceled, and we'll see uh, how it goes from there. I said this weekend to soak in as much baseball as you can over this last weekend because it could be the only baseball you get all season. And that's not to take a victory lap. That's to put in perspective of how quickly this can change. That statement was laughed at on Thursday. 
we're sitting here on Monday uncertain of the future of baseball for this season. So that's all I'm going to say about coronavirus and baseball. Unless someone else tests positive uh, or it directly impacts the Royals as it has. I mean, the Royals have seen an outbreak. Let's not act like in Kansas City we have not seen this exact same thing. The Kansas City Royals have had five regular players that that should be your starters out with coronavirus, not to mention uh, some other players who mysteriously went on the DL for no reason, which you can speculate was also due to coronavirus. They've seen their their manager have coronavirus. I mean, they've seen a lot of players and a lot of people within the organization have coronavirus. It it just so happened that that that, that outbreak happened in summer camp when there's not the attention put on them. So I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. Your guess is as good as mine. I'm not a doctor. I don't know anything about um, this disease uh, in the sense of making some grand, uh, you know, some grand prediction. So I'm not going to. It's amazing that sometimes you do not need to have a take. Whatever happens, we'll talk about it. So after the break, we're going to reset. We're going to relax. We're going to talk about baseball. Because we might not get this opportunity to do this a ton, but let's soak it in while we can. So the bottom line is from, from this moment on, on this podcast, we won't bring up the coronavirus again until another Royal has it or until the season is canceled because it does no good to talk about this. I don't know what's going on. You don't know what's going on. Let's just talk what we about. Let's just talk about what we do know. And we do know that baseball's played this weekend, and we know how the Royals fared in this weekend of baseball. But first, I want to tell you about our good friends over at RockAuto.com. RockAuto.com has been serving you auto parts online for over 20 years. It's a family-owned business, and that's right. 20 years ago, you had no idea what you were doing on the internet. You were surfing the web every time that your landline would ring. Your internet would stop. You didn't know what was going on. You couldn't figure out your email. It was a disaster 20 years ago. If you think the internet was bad now, 20 years ago, it was the wild, wild west. And you could have been buying all the parts your car would ever need at rockauto.com. Listen, most of these websites that sell you products or sell you anything, it's clunky. There's nothing. You don't know what you're doing. There's 50 million ads popping up. You have no idea what you should click on or what you shouldn't click on. Rockauto.com is an easy-to-navigate website that can find you all the parts your car will ever need. It has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of makes models, manufacturers. And the best part is, if you don't know anything about cars, I'll be the first one to admit, I know absolutely nothing about cars. And that was evident a couple of weeks ago, whenever my big selling point for Rock Auto was windshield wipers. And that's the only car part I knew about. If you know nothing about cars, my biggest praise of rockauto.com is the fact that on their website, all you have to do is enter the car you have. And then it will tell you directly right there, which parts are compatible with your car. Therefore, you're not buying these parts that you think you need, but actually doesn't doesn't quite fit what you need. It doesn't actually quite fit into the car. At rockauto.com, you're going to get everything you need, and you're not going to waste any money on parts you don't. And there's no point to go to a chain auto parts store because whenever you go there, they're going to type on their computer and send you out the door after they ordered a part online, and then they're going to upcharge you for that part they just ordered online. Skip the upcharge, go to rockout.com, write locked on in the how did you hear about us box, and they'll take care of you from there. Listen, folks, it does not matter if you are a professional athlete, a stay-at-home parent, or if you spend eight hours a day in an uncomfortable office chair. Everyone needs support to get through the day. Luckily, our friends over at CBDMD have an amazing duo that can help you relax, regroup, and recharge when life gets chaotic. 
CBD Freeze with Menthol is an award-winning product that offers instant cooling relief for muscles and joints in the convenient and easy-to-use roller or shareable squeeze tube. CBD Recovery combines CBD with inflammation-fighting compounds like arsenic and vitamin B6 to give you the support you need where it matters most. And to make it even easier to order this amazing duo and everything else you might need from CBDMD, they offer our audience 25% off your next order when you use promo code LOCKEDONMLB at checkout. Once again, that's CBDMD.com, promo code LOCKEDONMLB, 25% off your purchase of superior CBD products from CBDMD.com, promo code LOCKEDONMLB, 25% off. All right, we're already at the 12-minute mark, and we have not even dove into my three pages of notes here about this previous Indian series. Uh, so this is going to be a long show. So buckle up, folks. We start with game one, as one would traditionally do. In the first inning, uh, this season got started with a bang. Mondesi gets on base. He gets caught stealing. I think if the Royals challenge that, he's probably safe. Uh, but I will say that we, we've, we've a little bit kind of overblown that situation. I'm not certain he's safe. I think a lot of you were acting like it was unquestionable. It was un- they were unquestionably going to win that challenge. I think they would have won it. Don't get me wrong. I do think there was room for them to lose that challenge. I don't think you had a- the exact conclusive evidence you need, and it would really be um, review party by review party. So if you get one review chief on Monday, he might not make the same call on Tuesday. I think that, that was the kind of situation we were in with Mondesi getting caught stealing. Uh, I think he was safe. You think he was safe. But I don't think it was as egregious and as um, clear as some people think. Uh, but after that caught stealing, Solaire walks, which is huge for Jorge Solaire, and then Salvi ropes a single, and that would have been bases loaded with, with one out and Shane Bieber having absolutely no control over his pitches at that point. He had no control in that first inning. And whenever you face a good pitcher, it gets said over and over and over again, when you face a good pitcher, you need to get on them early, and the Royals could have done that with bases loaded and one out. Now, the flip side of that is they also could have grinded to a double play, so you don't really know for sure. But at that point, bases loaded, one out, top of the first inning, and Bieber has no control. Uh, I like your chances there a lot more than Montessi getting caught stealing and the inning not really mattering. And with Montessi's speed, that, that rope single maybe scores him. I don't think so, but maybe. With as fast as he's going, it kind of depends on what uh, you know what he was doing prior to the swing, if he was on the move already, things like that. But nonetheless, that was your best chance in that game to capitalize off Shane Bieber, who got 18 strikeouts and only gave up four hits, and you only had nine base runners total. Listen, I'm not going to do this a ton. I promise this is not the podcast that you think it's going to be uh, after this first game. The strike zone was porous. The strike zone was god-awful. Shane Bieber was getting calls on balls in the other batter's box as a strike. I don't know what was happening in that first game. Uh, Put it this way, Bieber and Duffy did not have the same strike zone, and that was frustrating. And honestly, if there is robo-umpires, I think this game goes goes a lot differently for Kansas City. And we expected the pitchers to be ahead of the batters. This is... Take everything you know about April baseball and put it in July. It's a weird transition for everyone, including myself. But in April, if the Royals struck out 18 times, you would be saying, eh, they faced a great pitcher. It sucks. I hate it. But pitchers are ahead of hitters. They faced a great one. And they had opportunities to capitalize. They didn't capitalize. So from the hitting standpoint, 
yes, you need a lot more. And yes, these games mean a lot more. They Actually, every single game means 2.7 games in the win-loss column, if you want to do the math. But it's the first game, and pitchers are ahead of the hitters. And we said on this podcast Friday, previewing the series, these are the best pitchers you're going to face all year long. Bieber, Clevenger, Carrasco, these are the best guys you're going to face all year long. I mean, Jack Flaherty is better than any of these guys, but move down that that Cardinals rotation. I'd rather have Clevenger than Mikolas. I'd rather have Clevenger than anyone else on that rotation. And that's the only really that's the only real rotation that's competitive with the Indians. So you face the best pitching you're going to face all year long with the Indians, and you're going to continue to face these guys. You know the, the schedule will line up to where you have to face Clevenger again, you have to face Bieber again, uh, but. Still, you're going to be more in the groove of, as a hitting aspect of things uh, than you were there. And for Danny Duffy, we got good Danny Duffy. Forget the line score. Right, for, forget the line score. He almost gave up a one-out you know, monster home run. It hits off the top of the wall for a double. And at that point, you, know, you could have seen Danny Duffy unravel. At times in his career, that's a breaking point. Top of the first inning, you get a quick out, and then you give up a moonshot double that was on – most ballparks without that high wall is gone. That's where you could see him unravel. But he quickly attacked the next hitter, got a pop-up, and then got a huge strikeout, and it, and he was very impressive in that first inning. And he dealt the rest of the way. And Technically, his line score says two runs. That's not his fault. Uh, the two guys were on base due to Mike Matheny. I mean, you don't... Listen, I love shifts. I love the advanced managing style. Um, I love... Everything that Kevin Cash does with Tampa Bay, I love bullpenning, I love it all, but certain teams don't have that ability, and there's certain situations where you do need to play old school baseball. You need to play old school baseball purist loving baseball. And in that situation where Danny Duffy missed out on two Inning-ending double plays in that fourth inning that could have allowed him to give up zero runs through four, and the Royals have zero runs through four, and we're we're talking uh, pitchers pitchers duel right here. In that situation, you have to be in double play depth. You cannot be shifting. Double play depth right there. If you're in standard traditional double play depth, you're out of that inning twice. Twice. You're out of that inning twice. You have Raul Mondesi or Alberto Mondesi at shortstop. The artist formerly known as Raul. You have Alberto Mondesi at shortstop. He's supposed to be the fastest shortstop in baseball, the flashiest shortstop in baseball. He has the range. You don't need to shift him. Play him at double play depth. And if a ball beats you where the shift would have been, that feels a lot better than two straight ground balls to traditional double play depth that you botched because you wanted to get cute and shift. And we'll talk more about Mike Matheny soon. But Kyle Zuber dealt for two innings. He was incredible. One walk, no hits, no runs. Tyler Zuber was awesome. I've praised him on this podcast over and over again, saying he's going to be electric to watch, saying he's going to be your favorite player soon. And he proved me right on Friday, so we hope that that continues. But Mike Matheny in game one. I never liked this hire. You can go back on my Twitter and find all the times I've slandered him. I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt, but he did not make a good first impression in game one on Friday. 
You make those two stupid shift calls ruining back-to-back inning-ending double plays. And again, I love shifting. I love that wacky stuff Kevin Cash does. I love Brian Kenny and Sabermetrics and all that other crap. But again, in that situation, you don't need to be too cute. That's like whenever you get pissed at Andy Reid for running four verticals on second and inches. On you know third and inches. That was unnecessary. Especially whenever you consider the batter each time didn't have blazing speed. To where even if you could merely get to the baseball, which we all expect Modesty could have, you at least get the runner at first. You're at least getting out. You shifted so bad, you took away not only the double play, but any out you could have had. Now, I did like pinch hitting uh, Frenchie Cordero. I I love that because Bubba Starling looked pitiful. Bubba Starling gets his first career opening day start. He looked scared out of his mind. He looked scared out of his mind up there. This dude's a 40-year-old prospect. He goes up there looking at fastballs down the middle. He looked scared in a stadium with no fans. I mean, Bubba Starling. So I love pinch hitting Frenchie there. But what I didn't like is whenever he pinch hit again, he's acting like this is the National League, pinch hitting guys left and right, acting like this is Little League ball. Everyone's got to get in that bat here. He takes out Nicky Lopez with two outs in the ninth inning. Nicky Lopez, now now I will admit, I am a Nicky Lopez stan, but Nicky Lopez in on Friday's game was the only Royal who put together consistent at bats, consistently good at bats with a good approach, a hit, a walk. He was feeling it, and you take him out in the bottom of the ninth inning, in the top of the ninth inning with two outs? Nicky Lopez was the only hitter in that lineup on Friday who was confident at the plate. And you want to talk about taking him out, uh, being uh, not coddling anyone's feelings, not caring about anyone, just trying to win. How is taking out the only guy who's had consistently good at-bats trying to win? I don't understand it. He was the only guy in that lineup with good at-bats and a good approach on Friday. And you took him out for no reason. In the in the top of the ninth, the two outs. After he had a hit and a walk, he's a guy who struggled a bit at the plate in his major league career. That does not send him a good message. It doesn't send your team a good message because, again, this was not Bubba Starling. Bubba Starling looked lost at the plate. He looked like he was scared out of his mind. Nicky Lopez was the only Royal who looked good in that game. But they fall on that one two to nothing. Uh, the two runs shouldn't have scored. You bring in Barlow, who's a disaster on the mound, uh, and, and he gives it up. Uh, D- Duffy gets the loss technically, but again, Duffy dealt. And and I was skeptical about Duffy. I'll continue to be skeptical about Danny Duffy, but he was the style star of the game on Friday. He was awesome. He shoved. I loved what I saw from him. We got a good Danny Duffy start. Uh, the question is, are we going to get that again? So his inconsistencies are still there, uh, but at least for Friday, you got good Danny Duffy. Bet of the day was the under eight runs. That one, of course, hit. And then my beat the streak pick was Whit Merrifield. And that one, of course, did not hit as no one in that lineup hit besides Nicky Lopez, who you took out for no reason. 
But then we got to Saturday, game two of the series, and the Royals finally get to toss Brady Singer out there. Uh, he makes his major league debut, someone who I'm very excited about. We've talked about the service time, but he shoved. He looked good. Danny, D- I mean, excuse me, Brady Singer has Cy Young potential. It was awesome. He goes five innings. Uh, he gives up two runs, three hits, seven strikeouts. Uh, he didn't give up a single hit until he got to the nine-hole hitter uh, in that Indians lineup. Gives up two runs. So one run scored because of a blocked ball. The ball got away. Salvador Perez tried to be Patrick Mahomes out there and flip the ball between his legs and and sends Singer flying through home plate. Uh, and that shouldn't have happened, not because it was a you know, not because it was on Salvi, but the pitch before should have been a strikeout to end the inning. But again, we don't have robo umpires. And if this series did have robo umpires, it goes a lot different for Kansas City. And I'm not going to make it a habit to talk about the umpires because it does even out uh, throughout the game. But it was egregious these first two days of the season. But it is early on for everyone. The umpires needed to get into a groove. They had a good umpire crew on Sunday. Sunday, the home plate umpire was awesome, uh, or at least consistent in quality where you didn't really notice it too much. Uh, but nonetheless, I don't think that that should happen with the, with the strikeout. And then... The other run was a, was a string of singles that, that barely get through. Uh, shifting goes differently there, as funny as that is. Uh, it, it was fine. I mean, he didn't go up hard contact. It's not like he got shelled out there. The fourth inning, after he gives up those two runs, he comes back, posed, confident, one, two, three inning, beautiful. And that's my biggest takeaway from Brady Singer. Three hits, seven strikeouts was awesome. The slider was elite, but my biggest takeaway. Now, that slider, you need to go watch and you'll pitching ninja on Twitter and see just how immaculate that slider was. Even if you watch the game, go watch it again for fun. We needed a, we need an uplifting story on this Monday morning. Uh, but the biggest takeaway for me was Brady Singer and his composure. That composure was special. In your major league debut, we talked about how those runs scored. It's not like you just got two moonshots hit on you. What are you going to do? You made a bad pitch. No, you should have got a strikeout, which stops one run. And then a string of, you know, fine hit baseball. I mean, they they weren't roped singles. They weren't hard hit balls. A string of singles gets another run. So it kind of feels like you're you're really going pretty well, all things considered. Uh, So the fact he didn't let that scoreboard rattle him, the fact he didn't let the fact that he had two earned runs rattle him was impressive in a major league debut. So I love what we saw from Brady Singer. That's what I expected from Brady Singer, and I cannot wait. If we get there, I cannot wait to watch him in Detroit because I think that he can have a special, special day in Detroit. Now, that Detroit lineup is hitting well right now, and we'll talk about them in the se- in the series preview. But still, I-, I cannot wait for that Detroit lineup and that Detroit game and, and the series as a whole. Uh, but in-, in terms of the bullpen, you know, Mike Matheny, I will say, wanted to win this specific game. He desperately wanted to win this specific game. And he did not want to win Sunday, but he wanted to win on Saturday for Brady Singer. Uh, he brings in Ian Kennedy in the sixth inning. I love that. Now, that's something I will praise Mike Matheny for, because I do believe in the new age of thinking. There shouldn't be closers. There should be high leverage situations in a tie game. That's a high leverage situation. In the sixth inning, in, in a game that you need to win, you bring in Ian Kennedy. He shuts you down for two innings. You bring in... Trevor Rosenthal and Greg Holland, they're amazing. Combined, they go, what, four innings, no hits, six strikeouts? They were awesome. The old man crew in that bullpen was awesome. And they showed that this bullpen has a ton, a ton to like. Now, they're not good enough for a bullpen day, which we'll talk about in the next game. But on the back end, just straight up winning you a ball game whenever your starter goes five innings, six innings, 
whenever you've got Zuber, Rosenthal, Kennedy, Holland, Stomont, I like that. Again, I don't like it to get you through nine, but to get you from the sixth to the ninth, I like it a lot. I really do. And that's something you cannot have said last year. Uh, but here we go again with Mike Matheny. He brings in Scott Barlow, who almost loses them the game. After the night before, he didn't pitch all that well. Why? Why did you go directly back to Scott Barlow and not say to Josh Stomont? You talked all about how Nicky Lopez, who had amazing at-bats Friday, gets pulled in the ninth because you don't care about coddling players. And yet, you want to show some boost of confidence in Scott Barlow. Scott Barlow? That's who you're worried about. That's the feelings you care about with Scott Barlow, who almost blew this game for you? Bases loaded, gets a couple of good calls from the umpire? That's, the, that's who you're going to cuddle, but not Nicky Lopez. Okay. Okay, Mike Matheny. It's going to be a long season. It's only going to be 60 games, but it's going to be a long season, and the tenure with Mike Matheny is going to be long, however, however long it lasts. It's going to feel like an eternity with Mike Matheny. I really wish Pedro Grafal was the Royals manager, but in terms of the hitting aspect, you got to be more aggressive. You got to protect the plate more. They started to do that in the first thing. You see uh, Jorge Soler and Salvi go back-to-back home runs for the first time off Clevenger. Uh, he's never given up back-to-back home runs in his career. Perez and, and Jorge Soler get him for back-to-back homers, and that really powers the Royals' offense. Uh, and in the in the beginning of this game, they were more aggressive and they were more protective. But then they tightened back up once this game got tied. And you saw them have to go to extra innings, and we got our first look at the extra inning rule uh, with Brett Phillips pinch hitting for Alex uh, Gordon going to second base automatically. He gets bunted over by Eric Mejia. He goes to third base, sack fly. He's in. Terry Francona elects to play it straight up. He gets a guy on second, obviously. Decides to swing away with his, with his entire lineup. He, you know, does it doesn't work out. He gets a guy on first base. Uh, it almost works, doesn't quite work. And that's kind of the story of this extra inning rule. We talked a lot about how exciting this could be, but the excitement level of this extra inning rule of starting a guy in second is totally and absolutely up to the managers. If you've got a manager like Mike Matheny who wants to win uh, and wants to do anything to win and you get a, a bunt sack fly fest, then it's not going to be that fun. If you get a, a manager like Terry Francona who wants to just play it straight up and see what happens, Okay, then it can be fun. I mean, you look at the Angels game where Shohei Otani gets gunned down on a ground ball to first base. It was a great play by Matt by Matt Olson and Matt Chapman. Uh, but still, the extra inning rule mixed results so far, and that's why it's good that it's not happening in the postseason. Because in the postseason, whenever these games count, and in September, if we get there, when these games count for standings and uh, and it's heightened the expectation level, the uh, pressure level is heightened. You will see more managers just go ahead and bunt and sack fly. Uh, I didn't like Mike Clevenger on Twitter, though, after the game, complaining about the extra inning rule. It's the same rule for both teams. The Indians could have bunted and sack flyed also. And his 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 complaint was stupid as well. Well, you're hurting the bullpen. No, this is helping the bullpen. I mean, what if this game goes 20 innings? That hurts your bullpen. He's an idiot, Mike Clevenger. I mean, I'm sorry. He's an idiot. And I don't mean IQ-wise. I just mean on Twitter, he's being an idiot. If the Indians win that game, he doesn't he doesn't give a damn about the extra inning rule. He, he, he was a sorry loser. 
even though he didn't get the loss in this game, but he was just, I don't know why he was complaining. His team got the loss, which sucks. But again, if the Indians win an extra innings, it doesn't matter. And that's the biggest issue with the extra inning rule is that whoever loses is going to complain about it. Whoever loses is. And you saw, you saw yesterday the Rays came back after, after losing the lead in the top half of the extra inning of, of the top half, half of the 10th. And then they started complaining, oh, this rule sucks. This rule sucks. And then after they came back and won in the bottom of the 10th, they're like, oh, this rule is awesome. I love this rule. And, and their, their official Twitter had some fun with that as well. But that's the bottom line. Whoever wins feels great. Whoever loses feels terrible and thinks this rule is just stupid and it should never happen. And the bottom line is there's no point to complain about anything this year. None of this matters. Like the, the expanded playoffs, the extra inning rule, it's all just for 60 games. Suck it up. Again, the Indians could have done the same thing. The Indians could have bunted and pinch ran and sack flied and, and been over with it. They chose not to. And it cost them. Star of the game, uh, Brady Singer, it's a style star of the game. Obvious reasons. He was great. He was electric. He showed why uh, he's my rookie of the year pick. He showed why I think he has Cy Young potential in the future. That elite slider, that awesome fastball. I mean, he was awesome to watch. Better the game was also good. Royals plus one and a half. They end up winning the game straight up. But Sunday's game, let's wrap up the series here. At this point, the Royals are one and one in the series. They are tied for first place in the Central. They are going for an unexpected series win. And they have a manager who's talked all about wanting to win. He's talked all about wanting to compete, wanting to make the postseason. You bring up Brady Singer on opening day, yada, yada, yada. What do they do? They have a bullpen day with a bullpen that's not good enough. That includes bringing in Jorge Lopez. They start Brett Phillips in the lineup. They start Eric Mejia in the lineup. They put out a B-squad lineup in a game that could have won them the series and kept them in first place of the Central. And that's all she wrote. This game was awful. Pitching was awful. Uh, Ronald Ronald was good. I mean, he, he lacked control at times. But again, his errors, his, his defense screwed him. And this is not your father's Royals defense. You're going to see errors this year. You're going to see plays like this where he gets the ground ball to Eric Mejia, and all Eric Mejia has to do is throw over to first base. That's it. Make a nice throw to first base, inning over, no run score, you're good. Instead, he botches the play with his first career third base start, and the Royals give up two runs, and the game seems out of hand already in the first inning. He was an Eric Mejia error away from a 1-2-3 first inning. He lacked control, but other than that, he looked good. Jorge Lopez comes in. He's a disaster. I mean, Jorge Lopez is a disaster. I tried in January to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt, but it's he's a disaster, folks. That's all you can say. Uh, the error on Franchi Cordero that scored the third Indians run, that's kind of his MO defensively. Does he have the speed to play all positions? Yes. Does he have the range to play all positions? Sure. Uh, but he lacks the baseball awareness whenever balls are in the air, of when to commit to something. He doesn't commit to anything. He just starts running. And on that ball, you either have to commit to dive there and risk the big play happening or commit to letting the ball fall. He didn't commit to either one of them, and he overran the ball, let it bounce over his shoulder, and 
they let the bad play happen with no chance of getting the out. At least when you dive and a bad play happens, there's a chance you get the out. And that's kind of been his MO for his entire career in the outfield. He doesn't commit to something. And he didn't commit there uh, with that error. And that scored the Cleveland Indians third run. But runs don't matter whenever you can't score at the plate. And Josh Stomont, one, one positive in this game was Kyle Zimmer looked fine. And Josh Stomont looked awesome. And you were scared that maybe, or skeptical maybe, that Josh Stomont, who was throwing over 100 miles an hour in summer camp and was looking good all offseason, was looking good in summer camp. You were scared maybe that it was a fluke or it was because he was facing Royals hitters, but his his breaking ball looked good. His fastball, of course, was fire. Josh Stomont looked awesome yesterday, and that's the lone bright spot. Because at the plate, they weren't even competitive. The lineup was a B-squad lineup. Outside of Mondi's double and, and Salvi's RBI single, it was not competitive at the plate. They were watching balls right down the middle. And all the strikeouts aside, because you would expect in the first series to see strikeouts, you would expect to see um, you know, pitchers getting the advantage over the hitters. They were looking at strikeouts right down the middle. They were looking at the last third strike go right down the middle, at least swing the bat. And it's the top of the lineup doing it. And this lineup is not good enough. This lineup is not the Yankees. The Yankees can strike out 18 times, and then their eighth hitter is some Hall of Fame guy that can pick you up. I mean, their eighth hitter is what, Brett Gardner, who's a a good hitter in in major leagues? Their lineup is deep one through nine. It's where they can pick each other up if they strike out. Without Hunter Dozier, your lineup is screwed. Your lineup on the back end is awful. It looks a lot more like last year's lineup than what I thought this lineup would look like and be competitive with this year. So the top guys, the Solaires, the Salvis, the Montes, the, the Whitmerfields, they cannot strike out looking at balls down the middle as they consistently did this season, or this series, excuse me. So the hitting was atrocious. And that's going to be our biggest key to, to this next series. We'll talk about that in a second. But let's wrap up this, this episode, uh, this series, with the star of the game for Sunday. The style star of the game Sunday was Josh Stelmont. Beat the streak pick was Whit Merrifield. Bet of the day was under nine. I missed the bet of the day. I got Whit Merrifield. So the streak now is up to two. And we'll preview the Tigers series right now because it's a four-game set. Last series, the Royals went one and two against the Indians. The Tigers, tied for first place in the Central, are two and one against the Reds, which you know, does prove my point about the uh, NL Central not really having a, an elite team. They're all pretty good. They're also all pretty beatable because the Tigers went into the Cincinnati and won that series. So if you want a positive, it's confirmed now that the NL Central is not unbeatable for the Royals or for the Tigers or for anyone. Uh, but the Royals pitching this series, it's going to be Montgomery tonight uh, on Monday at, at 6-10. Tomorrow, it'll be a bullpen day. Woof. Wednesday, it'll be Denny Duffy. And Brady Singer goes on Thursday for this four-game set with the Detroit Tigers. Uh, again, today, first pitch at 6-10. The probable pitchers are Mike Montgomery versus Michael Fuller. Uh, this is a must-win game. This is a must-win game. It's a must-win series. If Mike Matheny wants to continue to talk about winning, if this organization wants to continue to talk about winning, they've got to beat the Tigers. And that's what Detroit's saying right now about Kansas City. Make no bones about it. In a 60-game season with expanded playoffs, both these teams legitimately can get to the postseason and if they want to if this if this is something that, that, that they want to have happen which the Royals have talked about competing since January when we thought this season would be normal they were truly buying into themselves and, and tasting themselves uh, with this whole 
we're going to compete thing. The, if you want to compete, if you want to continue to use that rhetoric, you have to beat the Tigers. You absolutely have to beat the Tigers. And the bullpen day, with the way this Tigers lineup is hitting, good luck. You've lost that game. So you're going to need to win tonight. You're going to need to win on Duffy's day. You're going to need to win on Singer's day. So tonight's huge. What to watch for tonight is the bats. If the bats can't get going against Michael Former, now look, you can make an excuse for Clevenger. You can make an excuse for Bieber. You can even make an excuse for Carrasco, who's in his career had the Royals number. If they cannot look good, if they cannot break out and be competitive against Michael Former, I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear it anymore. And I'm going to stop saying it myself. I don't want to hear any more about this lineup. I don't want to hear any more about competing. This season at that point would be what we all thought it was in December. A rebuilding year. A waste of a year. Who cares? Now look, if, if they lose this game, that doesn't necessarily mean those things are true. But if they lose this game and this lineup continues to look at uncompetitive and continues to look at balls down the middle and continues to be atrocious and not even compete at the plate, then yeah, if they cannot compete against Michael Former, forget about it. If they're still looking at balls down the middle against Michael Former, forget about it. If they're not protecting the plate against Michael Former, forget about it. If they're not getting hits off Michael Former, forget about it. So the bats are the biggest thing to me. I don't even care what Mike Montgomery does or what the bullpen does or anyone does. If the bats cannot look competitive and good against the Tigers, who cares? Who cares at this point? But then you move on to Mike, to Mike Montgomery. He says he's more comfortable starting. We saw him get shelled in an inter-squad game against these Royals bats, which is not looking as a positive for him. He says he's more comfortable starting. He says he's comfortable in Kansas City. Can he show it? Can he be a solid starter? Look, you know your starters, Duffy and Singer, they kept you in the game. They did exactly what I asked them to do. We've always said for this team to win, your starter needs to go about five innings of three runs or less baseball. Singer and, and, and Duffy did that. And again, forget about the line score with Duffy. We, we've already addressed that. Singer and Duffy did enough. Can Mike Montgomery do enough? And I know you're still missing O'Hearn. I know you're still missing all-star Hunter Dozier. I know you're still missing Junis. I know you're still missing Brad Keller. Can Mike Montgomery carry the torch? Can he step up against a Tigers lineup and get you to five, get you to six with three runs or less? Because at that point, I do like the back end of this bullpen. I like Zuber. I like Rosenthal. I like Kennedy. I like Holland. I like Stomont. But you're going to need a starter to get you there. So what does Mike Montgomery look like whenever he's so comfortable, he's so at home, he's so ready can he show up? And then another thing to watch for, last thing, will be how does Mike Matheny manage this bullpen? He had a very short rope with Danny Duffy. Very short. And I think that Danny's Duffy, Danny Duffy's reputation preceded him on Friday. I really do. If Danny Duffy was not known for melting down and for unraveling on the mound, he does not get pulled there. I don't think it was a pitch count thing. I don't think it was a plan thing. I think that Mike Matheny smelled blood in the water and felt that it would be a, a, a prime time meltdown for Danny Duffy. And he tried to predict the future. Just based on what Danny Duffy has done, has done in his career. What's the leash on Mike Montgomery? 
who gets called in from that bullpen. The lineup also will be a, a big tell. You cannot put a B lineup out there against the Tigers. These games are must win. You're not the Twins. You're not teams like that that can afford to lose any games to the Tigers. You want to talk about competing. You want to talk about winning. You've got to beat the Tigers. You've got to beat the Pirates. You've got to beat these teams. So I'm very interested to see how Mike Matheny handles this entire series. Beat the streak pick today. Let's go with Whit Merrifield. He's been hot. Let's see if he can get us to three. We're at two right now. Better the day coming up right now. Brought to you by absolutely no one. Someone could step up. If you're interested in sponsoring the show or that segment or anything, you can email LockedOnRose at gmail.com, by the way. We're always looking for partners in this podcast. But as we look for a bet of the day, you scroll down to this Royals matchup with the Tigers, and you see the Royals money line at uh, 115. The over-unders at 9.5. You know, give me the under on 9.5 for Royals-Tigers game one. This is risky. This is really risky because the Tigers lineup has been hitting well. The Royals pitching has been fine. The Royals hitting has been awful. So it really comes down to can Mike, can Mike Montgomery, can he really show up here? And can he limit the damage against CJ Crone and other Tigers hitters? Let's end the show. Longest show in Lockdown Royals history. Good for us. In the show with the playoff format. Very self-explanatory. That's why I'm going to sneak it in here at the end. 16 teams get in. The, the top two teams per division get in. Two wildcard spots after that. Uh, the all games play at the higher seeded home field. So if you're the eight seed, you're going to play all three games of the three-game series at the one seed's home field. If we can get to the postseason, that is. And look, again, you see these teams complaining and these fan bases complaining. Does it screw the upper class? Does it screw the, the Yankees and the Dodgers? Does it, does it mess them up? Sure. Of course. It's the first time that they've ever been in a bad position by baseball in 150 years. Since the existence of baseball, this is the first time you can say the Dodgers and the Yankees and those big market teams are at a disadvantage and it's one season. If they expand the postseason, the format will not look like this. You can bet your bottom dollar that if they expand this permanently, you're going to have a buy a buy round in the postseason where the first seed gets a bye week, just like the NFL, and they'll change up the scenario here. Because you will see upsets. Baseball is unlike any other sport. Their postseason is not designed to crown the best team. The best team rarely wins in the postseason because of how random it is. Look at Kansas City. In 2014, they were not the best team. But they upset the A's, the game they shouldn't have won. They swept their way to the World Series, and they almost beat the Giants. In 2015, they should have lost to the Astros. They should have lost to the Blue Jays. They easily could have lost to the Mets, who they beat in five games. That's how random baseball is. So the postseason is never about crowning a true champion. And yes, the Dodgers and Yankees are at a disadvantage now. They are. Because in a three-game series, anything can happen. But it's the first time in 100 years you're at a disadvantage if you're the Dodgers and if you're the Yankees. Suck it up. Suck it up. It's one season. It's one season that you can be at a disadvantage and you're having a poor, pitiful me party in L.A. and in New York. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. It's one season. 
And all this did. And, and those fan bases are also talking about how, well, now the, the regular season doesn't matter. In a 60-game season, if it was a playoff format of last year, every game would matter for us, and we might miss out on the playoffs. Okay, all baseball did here was shift that philosophy the other way. Because, look, let me let, me let you in on a little secret here. The, the Mets, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Angels... The, the big market teams, the Cubs, the, the big market baseball towns, they watch baseball no matter what. The Cubs watch the loser for over 100 years. The big market baseball towns watch baseball no matter what. So yeah, they didn't need you to be on the edge of your seat all season long. They already have you captivated by the sport. What they did by expanding the postseason is getting fans of the Royals, getting fans of the Tigers, getting fans of the Marlins, getting fans of the Orioles, getting those fans excited, getting those fans to feel like, hey, maybe we've got a shot here. Look at what the Tigers just did. You open up your season taking two of three from the Reds, who many people, including myself, expect to win the NL Central. You're telling me that they're not having a pizza party in Detroit? The Orioles take two of three against Boston? You're telling me they're not having a crab cake party in Baltimore? All they did was look at who they had. They have Yankee fans. They have Dodger fans. You're going to watch every game no matter what. And they figured out a way to make sure that every single fan base was interested in this game. That every single fan base felt like they had a chance. The Royals are 1-2 right now, and they are a playoff team. They're a team that can compete for the postseason at 1-2 and in a 60-game season in a year that they probably shouldn't. If we if we played this out, 162, start to finish, normal everything, this team is probably a 95, maybe only an 80-loss ball club. But in a 60-game season, anything's possible. Does it enhance the Royals' chances to get in? Yeah, sure. Of course it does. Will the Royals get in? Not to not there's no hyperbole in the statement. Will the Royals get in is totally dependent on what happens in Detroit. If if they cannot win the series against Detroit, forget about it. Because you only get so many of these. And we've talked about what's coming up. You've got the White Sox coming up this weekend. You've got a stretch here in August of twins, reds, twins, reds, twins. It's a lot of losses. You need to capitalize against the Tigers. So we'll know Friday what the tone of this season will be in Kansas City. We'll know Friday. But be honest with yourself, because for me, this is true. You lived and died with every pitch and every game of this last series with Kansas City. If we're starting game one of 62, you're not doing that. You don't have that hope. You don't have that anticipation. You don't have that optimism about this ball club without the expanded playoffs, without the 60-game season. So, yes, are they tailoring to Kansas City for once and Detroit for once and Baltimore for once and these bad teams for once? Yes, they are. Suck it up. It's one time in 100 years. I don't want to hear it from New York fans and L.A. fans. And if you're so good, beat them in the three-game set. But this show is creeping up on an hour long. I appreciate everyone if you've gotten to this point for listening to Locked On Royals Podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. It's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. We do a live game thread for every single Royals game. We'll continue to do that tonight and be good and be good to one another. We'll see you 
tomorrow for a regularly scheduled, regularly timed Locked On Royals podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Be good and be good to one another.